Hello, Celebration Church, and greetings from down under. Deb and I uh, just finished our uh, last event in Australia. We are at Brisbane, Australia, and had a fabulous event. It was really, really great. Uh, the place was packed out. They said it was the largest crowd they've ever had for any event. We even beat out T.D. Jakes. Woohoo! Something that'll probably never happen again, but <laughs> I'll take it while I can. <laughs> But uh, it was packed to the walls, over 77 different churches all joining together uh, for this big Laffy Way event. We had a wonderful time. Well, we finished out there and then we hopped on a plane and we are now here in New Zealand. A beautiful country, probably one of the most beautiful countries in the world. And I'm really looking forward to showing you some pictures as we go to the South Island and stuff. And this is where they shot all the Lord of the Ring movies with some incredible scenery. We've been here before. It's quite stunning and we're looking forward to it. Uh, we are at City Impact Church in Auckland. Uh, we had a great uh, time this weekend. We did a singles event as I traumatized all the single people <laughs> talking about love and marriage uh, and uh, uh, worked with some of the counselors and stuff. I'm going to be preaching there uh, today and then tomorrow night and the next night we're going to be doing our Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage here in Auckland and then going on to a couple other towns and uh, giving you an update as we go along. Anyway, we're very, very excited about it. Now, uh, Pastor Lathan was supposed to be preaching today. Today is Father's Day. Greetings to all you fathers out there. Greetings to my children. I always make Father's Day for them easy because I'm never here, which means they never have to buy me anything. You should buy me something. So when I get back, you give it to me. Anyway, they can slide on it because <laughs> I'm not there. But uh, for all the dads today, God bless you guys and be blessed. Pastor Lathan was going to preach today on Father's Day. Uh, he's, however, busy becoming a grandfather again. So uh, his youngest daughter uh, was going into labor. So they quick hopped uh, in the car and drove, drove down to Tennessee to be with their daughter, Kara, as she is having her first baby. So uh, I'm going to be sharing to you from here in New Zealand. I am sharing a video clip uh, from a message that I preached last night to men. So it's perfect for today for Father's Day. We're going to be celebrating great moments in mandom and it'll be great fun and hopefully it'll be a real blessing to you uh, at all of your campuses. So whether you're in Appleton this morning or Stevens Point in Green Bay uh, uh, at one of our campuses, uh, sit back Listen to the message, be encouraged, and today just love on your dads. We love men. Men are important to the kingdom of God. And when you celebrate your father, you're in a way celebrating your heavenly father. So anyway, enjoy the message this morning, and uh, we'll check in again with you next week. I want to welcome our uh, church in Green Bay, Wisconsin. All you guys say, hi, Green Bay. Uh, all right. These <laughs> they are uh, watching this service. Uh, this Today in Green Bay is Father's Day, so I thought it would be great to send this message back home to our guys back in Green Bay from all the Kiwis here as we talk about men. I want to give you a simple little message tonight, mostly of encouragement, a few slaps upside the head, but mostly encouragement. It's entitled, Great Moments in Mandom. Da -da -da -da. We're going to look at the Bible. We're going to take a little trip through the Bible. And I want to show you some of the more specifically great, fabulous moments in the world of men. Starting in Genesis, the sixth chapter, verse 11. The Bible says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. Everybody. 
except for Noah and his family. I mean, the whole group was just rotten to the core. And so God said to Noah, look, I'm, I'm going to put an end to all the people. I've had it. I'm going to kill them all. <laughs> That's the gospel according to Pastor Mark. Kill them all. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy them and the earth. So God gives him, as we know the story, the instructions to build an ark. He said, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And God goes on to give him all the details of this gigantic boat, particularly for the time. Is this thing is huge. Now, the reason I point this out as one of the first great moments in Mandom is because undoubtedly it took Noah a really long time to build this thing. The Bible doesn't say how long, but it had to take years and years and years. It was just him and the boys in his life, his sons, building this thing. They didn't have power saws. They didn't have all the big fancy tools that we have today. It was with your hands. And this small group of guys built this gigantic boat according to God's specifications. And there's no indication at all that they built it anywhere near water. In fact, there's a lot of hint that there wasn't really large bodies of water on the earth at that time as we understand it uh, when all of a sudden God just collapses all the uh, skies and earth and this massive flood comes in and then it all rushes into the seas is where we get what we have today so you can imagine the abuse that Noah and his family took for the years they were building this boat people were going by and had to be mocking them saying you guys are out of your ever loving minds First of all, where are you going to put the boat? There's no water anywhere, probably, that could fit such a boat. They're building this gigantic thing on land, and I'm sure they got abuse, and they were discouraged. If it was like anything, there were times things didn't fit. Anybody do that before? You know, you get something for kids for Christmas, and you follow the directions, and when you're done, you got like six pieces left over, and you go... Oh, this is bad. <laughs> what, what did I do? What, uh, and then you got to tear it apart and do it again. I mean, it had to be frustrating. But the thing you got to hand it to Noah is he stuck with it. He was a man who was on a mission. And he stayed with it. And he kept working it year after year after year. Regardless of what anybody said. What anybody said to him, the abuse he might have taken. He's stuck in there. And make no mistake, if you're going to stand for right principles in today's culture, you will be mocked. Christians are overwhelmingly mocked today. You know, you can be in anything. Everybody thinks it's great. If you're a Christian, you're an idiot. You know, and they love to come after us. Well, so be it. Okay, Jesus said we were like sheep, so let them come after the sheep if they need to. But uh, we need to stand for what we believe in. And we just need to be patient. It takes time. Anybody who's built anything, and men are great builders, you know, it takes time. Don't get discouraged. Hang in there. Stick with it. Be persistent. Don't let it blow you out of the water. If you will just hang in there and work it and work it and work it and be faithful, trust God, you can succeed. So our number one nod is to Noah because he stuck with it. Then we jump to Genesis, the 39th chapter, and we read about Joseph. Now, the Lord was with Joseph, it says, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. 
When his master saw that the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes, this master, and became his attendant. The guy's name was Potiphar. Now Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So everything's going great. I mean, everybody, anybody who's had a business, you're responsible for anything, you know what a great blessing it is to be able to hire someone that you can have total confidence in and that everything they touch succeeds. Every man dreams of having guys like that around him. And Potiphar scores with Joseph. Everything Joseph does works. Everything he touches succeeds. This guy loved Joseph. Life was good with Joseph in charge. Okay, the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. This is a good life. Well, the only thing you got to worry about is what's for dinner. Woo! That is a great deal. He didn't have to worry about anything. Everything was taken care of. All the bills were taken care of. Everything that was concerning about anything in the home, inside or outside, Joseph ran it, and he ran it to perfection, and he did it well, and God bless it, and it was great success. Potiphar scored when he got a hold of Joseph. Well, <clears throat> there's a bit of a problem. The next words say, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. He was a good-looking boy. In this case, he's a young man now. He's a good-looking guy, well-built and handsome. He's good-looking. And after a while, Potiphar's wife noticed, took notice of Joseph. Said, "Woo, check out lamb chops over here. He's a good-looking boy. Man, she really got the hots for him. And she said to Joseph, tried to seduce him, and said, come to bed with me. Now, she wasn't really tired, but you get it. Okay, so. <laughs> really? You need to take a nap? Go ahead, lay down. I'm fine, you know. <clears throat> Come to bed with me. Come on, baby. Woo! Let's get it on. Let's get it on. All right? But Joseph refused. And he said, look, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Joseph loved the position that he had. He loved to succeed. He knew that if he did this, he would no longer be blessed. He would no longer succeed. Okay? So uh, he basically turns the lady down. He says, no one in this house is greater than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Except because you are his wife. He, I can get anything but you. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Well, the lady wasn't really persuaded, and though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. This lady was constantly hitting on him. She obviously had some issues, <laughs> okay? So one day, he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. Uh-oh, trouble, all right? And then she sneaks up to him and she grabs him by his cloak and says, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, we celebrate Noah because he stuck with it. We celebrate Joseph because he ran from it. 
Here is a guy who had enough sense. Don't try and reason with sin. Don't try and debate it. Don't try to rationalize it. Just run away from it. It's what Timothy was told in Timothy 2.22 when he, Paul said, flee youthful lusts. Look, we all feel stuff. The problem is so many people get so caught up in their feelings and they feel everything they feel they have to do. You don't have to do everything you feel. The beautiful thing about Christianity is Jesus sets us free, so we don't have to do what we feel. But don't mess with it, man. When you get in situations where you know it's wrong, it's bad, get out of there. Get yourself in a good situation. Don't put yourselves in situations where you're likely to fail. And the best way to do it is not to pray about it. It's not to meditate on the word about it. It's lots of all those are all good things. What the Bible says, when you face it, run! Get out of there! Get away from the situation. Now, sadly, a lot of guys would love to be in a situation like that. They'd be running to it. You know, hey, baby, come on, you know. But then they pay a terrible price, and it's never worth it, dudes. You got to be aware of the fact. Don't try and reason with temptation in your life, okay? Temptation is an icky thing. That's why Jesus said, pray that you don't fall into temptation. Temptation is awful. More often than not, when people fall into temptation, they mess up one way or another. Pray. Be aware. Don't go there. Stay away from it. Ask God to help you. Stay away from it. When you start getting into situations you know is not a good situation, run from it. All right, so Joseph stuck with it. Joseph ran from it. Then we read about a young man named David in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. Now the Philistines had gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soka in Judah. They pitched camp between Ephes Damim and between Soka and Ezekiah, or however you say it all. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up the battle line there to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Actually, if, if you read the whole story... They, would, they did this like for a month or so. They would line up, stare at each other. They'd do the haka, you know, which is a New Zealand thing. You don't understand what that is. But these, <laughs> the, the rugby players, it's the coolest thing. If you ever, when you, you guys are back in the States, you guys, you've got to go on YouTube and look up haka. Is that H-A-K-A? Is that what it is? And look at their, their football team, their rugby team, uh, before they play do this real cool thing where they chant and are sticking out their tongues and chanting in this, you know, native tongue here. It's a scream. It's really hilarious in the NFL. It, it's great. It's wonderful because they're basically sticking it to the other team. And the other team doesn't do anything. They, can't, they just got to stand there, you know.
because no other teams have that, right? You know, and he's got, and the crowd's going wild. It's very, very cool. So that's what these guys did. They did the Hawkeye every day. They got together, the Israelites on one side, the Philistines on the other side, and then they all broke for lunch and, you know, and chilled out for the rest of the day. <laughs> then they got up the next day and they did it again. And then they'd break and relax for a while. Day after day after day, nobody would move. This is what's known in the States as a Mexican standoff. <laughs> it's like nobody has the advantage and no one could take the first move. All right, well, now, on the Philistine side, they had a champion named Goliath. He was this big yo mama dude. He was from Gath, uh, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. By the way, aren't the All Blacks rugby team, aren't they playing right now? They're playing the French, right? Are they beating them? Not yet? They're not, you know, well, we don't know yet? Oh, you're, you you're going to tape it later. Yeah, I hope they beat it. Everybody hates the French. No, but... <laughs> Even the guys in Green Bay are going, yeah, kill the French, yeah! They don't, they don't even know the game. Yeah, everybody's, you know, everybody, anybody can beat the French is a, is a great blessing, praise God. All right, so. <laughs> By the way, thanks for being here when you have a game. In Green Bay, nobody would be here. <laughs> hey, a Packer game, forget it, I'm not gathering. At least you guys are here, so bless you for that. So anyway, so these guys come out. This guy's, he's over nine feet tall. Now, uh, if you ever look at historical uh, uh, artifacts and stuff like that, one thing that really strikes you is how small people used to be. You ever notice that? If you go in historical things, you know, they're, these are like little guys. You know, they, didn't, they weren't as tall as we are today. And I'm short. You know, a lot of you guys tall. I mean, we're a lot tall. A lot of us would have been huge uh, for the day. Well, if you can imagine with normal-sized people that were relatively small by our standards, this guy is nine feet tall. That's big by our standards, but this guy is a massive man. He's humongous. He has a bronze helmet on his head, wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekel. I'm not sure how much a shekel is, but I'm sure it's heavy. On his leg, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. You ever pick up anything that's bronze? It's really heavy. This guy's wearing bronze. You know, that's his clothing. I mean, it's heavy. He's a big guy. And this Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Then they all broke for the day and come back the next day and do the same thing all over again. Nobody, nothing was happening until David shows up. So we jump to verse 45. Now David says to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Now, you have to wonder what Saul was thinking. Nobody thought David had a shot. He didn't think. Nobody did. Why would he send this young guy out there? He probably thought something has to break. You know, let's send this punk kid out there. The Philistine chops him up into pieces. Maybe our guys will get mad and rush. You know, who knew? No one really expected David to prevail. They all mocked him and said he was crazy. But why would they let him do it? I mean, something's got to give. We've been standing doing the haka for, you know, a month. Nothing's happening. Let's send out the punk kid and see if we can't get some motivation going on. So he is, he's bold, though. He comes, you come against me with a sword and a spear, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. 
All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now this boy, he had a pair, I got to tell you. This is a gutsy guy. He's not out there going, oh, what have I done? What have I done? He's out there going, he's yelling at this guy, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to feed your body to the birds. Dude, you know, I'd be thinking, man, calm down. You're going to tick him off. <laughs> he's really big. Okay, just, you know, calm down. He's He's mad. All right. Well, anyway, the Philistine, he's furious. He is so insulted. This nine-foot man, they sent out this punk kid. He is furious in the Bible. He yells, he just rages. And he says, I'm going to kill you, you little snot. And he starts running. So it says in verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. <laughs> this boy had a pair, I'm telling you. Not only is he, as soon as the guy starts moving, he runs at him. I mean, this guy has some serious guts. And of course, we know the story, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, strikes the Philistine on the forehead. The forehead sank, in, the, the stone sank into his forehead he fell face down on the ground, and then David got up and took the sword and cut off his head and lifted it up. Whee! <laughs> and all the all this just went, yeah! So they go running, and all the Philistines go, ah! And they take off, and they just wipe them out that day. It was a glorious day. So Noah stuck with it. God bless him. Joseph had enough sense to run from it, but we celebrate David because he fought for it. Here's a guy who was not afraid of conflict. Wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. He went for it. And thank God for the world of men. Overwhelmingly, it is men who are the protectors in society. Now, that's politically incorrect today. I don't know about you guys, but in the States, you can't hardly say that anymore. You know, well, women can fight just as good as a man. Well, anyone who's been married for three weeks knows that's true. But that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> they can put the fear of God in a man without question. But as I was thinking of this, I said, stop and think for a minute. Let's say you took out every man in the army and replaced it with all women. Seriously. You think you'd have something left. While there's always exceptions and some women can do some things as good or better than men, those are always the exceptions when it comes to strength and these kinds of things. Overwhelmingly, if I'm on the front line and we're in battle, I want to look over and see, dude, 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 chick, okay, but dude, 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 dude. I want guys around me, men who will fight for it, who have the tenacity, the strength, the courage to go for something, to fight for something, to believe in something, to risk their necks. Thank God for firemen. You can't say that anymore. You got to say firefighter in the States, but when I grew up with firemen. But overwhelming, if you're in a 24th story building and you're locked underneath something and smoking fire and somebody's breaking through the door, you hope it's not a bunch of chicks. <laughs> Are you hearing me? You want it to be a man. Strong, hopefully a big yo mama man. Some 250 pound guy that pulls us up, grab you, throw over his shoulder and get you out of there. You want a man. 
Men are strong. God has blessed us with strength. We don't need to apologize for being men. We need to start celebrating what it means to be a man. Hallelujah. No apologies. David fought for it. Then we get to Daniel. Daniel, the third chapter. And we read about three Hebrew guys. Now, we, they're often referred to as the three Hebrew children. <laughs> they weren't children. These were grown men. Okay? Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you're curiously looking for a name for your children, there are some suggestions for you right there. Shadrach, get over here right now. But uh, probably not popular names today. But they, that's what they were called. Uh, the king of Nebuchadnezzar actually gave them those names. And uh, so anyway, these guys, these three guys are in trouble. Because Nebuchadnezzar, if you read the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is this psycho, narcissistic, insane human being who just thinks the world, he thinks he's a god. He just, it's, it's incredible. He is so full of himself, it's enough to choke you. Eventually, God really humiliates the guy. But uh, anyway, uh, these people around Nebuchadnezzar, they made this great big gigantic statue. And they decided to make a rule that whenever the band would play, everybody had to stop. And they would have to bow down and worship the statue. Well, if you didn't, you were under threat of death. Well, these guys who egged the king on to, to pass the statue knew that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the Jews that were there wouldn't do it. And they hated the Jews and they wanted to kill them. They were looking for a reason to kill them. So he passes the law. And then, of course, the band starts, you know, and all of a sudden everybody's, except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm not bowing. And they're standing there, and they point him out. Well, the king likes these guys. Now, you have to understand, Shadrach would have just killed them as soon as any. The guy was brutal, but he liked these guys. So he brings them in and says, guys, listen, I like you. You're a nice guy, but I'm going to kill you, okay? If you don't bow down and worship things, I'm going to throw you into this fire furnace, and we're going to have us a barbecue, okay? And it's going to get really hot. You are going to die a horrible death. So we pick up the story at verse 16. Now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replies to the king. King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But one of the, my favorite words in the Bible are the next set of words where he says, but even if he does not. See, it's easy to praise God when you know that you know that you know that you're going to come out on top. But to do the right thing, even if God doesn't show up, that takes some courage. So these men proclaim, listen, we're trusting God. We believe God can. And we even say God will. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We will not bend. We will not bow. We will not go down this hill. So we celebrate Noah because he stuck with it. Joseph, because he had enough sense to run away from it. David, because he had the tenacity to fight for it. But we celebrate the Hebrew man because they said no to it. Men have the ability to say no 
particularly Christian men. There's something that happens differently in a man that is born again that is different than any other man on the face of the earth. Every other man on the face of the earth is convinced they have to yield to whatever they feel, whatever temptations they come up to. It controls them. Sin, they are the slaves to. But not when Christ comes into your life. Because the Bible says, the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled lives. Now, this really fries my Puerto Rican pancakes because we live around so many evangelical Christians today who out of compassion, all of the great motives in their heart, they don't want people to feel condemned. They don't want people to feel bad. Oh, bloody stinking blah. And they basically told men, Look, well, you can't really, you can't help it. You can't help it. You know, it's okay, it's okay, you can't help it. Seriously, this is our message to men today. We think it's a message of compassion. I say it's a message that is destroying men. Oh, surely God loves us and covers us with his grace and his compassion. But our message to men of faith is not that you can't help it. Our message to men of faith is thank God I'm free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. I don't have to do what I feel. I don't have to do what I used to do. I am free. I can say no to unrighteousness and control myself. So Noah stuck with it. Joseph ran from it. David fought for it. The Hebrew men said no to it. But the single greatest moment in mandom we read in Luke the 23rd chapter. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right hand, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Noah stuck with it. Joseph had enough sense to run away from it. David had the courage to fight for it. The Hebrew men had enough of God in them to say no to it. But the greatest of all moments in mandom is when Jesus died for it. The Bible says no greater love has this than a man would lay down his life for his friends. Romans the fifth chapter verse eight says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is absolutely the greatest moment. We celebrate Noah, he stuck with it. Well, nobody else probably would have. I would have been so discouraged building that stupid boat. Why are we doing this? There's no water. I don't know, shut up, just do it. <laughs> Joseph has this ho-chi-mama chick hitting on him. A lot of guys would think, ooh, I wish I had a ho-chi-mama chick hitting on me. But not him. He had enough sense when the girl comes knocking, he went running. David, against all odds, the boy should have been just torn to pieces. But yet with great confidence, he fought for what he believed in. 
The Hebrew men, God bless them, they didn't know what would happen. For all they know, they were going to get burnt to a crisp. Our God can deliver us, but you know, King, even if he doesn't, even if we are doomed, we will not bend. We will not bow. We will not yield. The capacity to say no. And then, of course, Jesus, who despite a world that rejected him, laid down his very life that we could experience forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these moments in mandom that we see throughout the Bible. Lord, help us as men to be the kind of men that you want us to be. The kind of men that our sons and daughters can look up to. The kind of men that our wives can feel confident and safe in. Help us be the kind of men, God, that you've called us to be. To not to rationalize away a life of failure, but to realize that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And help us to take this glorious message to a lost and dying world. And we thank you. And bless all the dads today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Bless you.